I'm Natalia Loback, and this is Change Course. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more it changes, the more it stays the same. To me, this is the perfect quote to sum up the irreverence and sometimes what irritates me about organizational culture. Since culture is one of my favorite subjects, we are bringing you amazing culture content all month here at the Change Course podcast and at Chart House. So stay tuned. There are a lot of exciting episodes planned. I hope you enjoy them. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose is our theme for this month, for Culture Month. So we've changed it up with a little bit of different music. Uh, Let's think about sitting in a cafe in Paris as we meet with philosophers and thinkers and discuss all things change. So this term, this phrase was coined by French writer Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr and he had a journal called Legep, which stands for the wasps, where he would discuss all sorts of things about culture and society and critique the happenings in Paris and all sorts of other things. So it was a literary journal and a philosophy journal where he would discuss all sorts of things. So the first time that he used this phrase was in the July 1848 issue of the journal. And he used it again in January 1849. And the second time he used it, I mean, he must have really liked this phrase. But the second time he used it, I really liked the context. And let me read this in French for you, and then I will translate it into English. Après tant de bouleversements, de changements, il serait temps de s'apercevoir d'une chose. C'est que c'est comme au cabaret, caché vert, caché rouge, etc. On change quelquefois le prix, quelquefois le bouchon, mais c'est toujours la même piquette qu'on nous fait boire. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more it changes, the more it stays the same. So when Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr wrote this in January of 1849, he was talking about and reflecting upon big seismic changes that had happened in France. And what he was saying was, you know what? It's kind of like when you go to the bar to the cabaret, caché vert, caché rouge, referring to stamps on French wine bottles that denote the quality of the wine. And what he's saying here is, you know what? You can change the price. You can change the cork. It doesn't matter what stamp is on the bottle, but you know what? It's the same crappy wine that we have to drink. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more it changes, the more it stays the same. 
And I find it fascinating that 175 years later, we are still talking about this. And for me, this really illustrates the central characteristic of culture. Culture has a heartbeat. It has a gravity to it. It has a central tenet that seems to always remain the same, no matter how much changes around it. And 175 years later, Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr was complaining about some of the characteristics of French culture. And today we can still describe those same frustrations, those same things that he was talking about, because the essential French culture is as timeless as the baguette. So I love this. This is my favorite paradox about culture, because you can change so much about an organization, but culture can often withstand a lot of those changes. Another great quote is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I'm sure that you've heard this one and, you know, it's been used and reused and recycled many, many, many times. But essentially what it means is that you can set in motion or in place an ambitious strategy for an organization and it can fail at the point of culture. Culture is powerful in organizations. And I'm going to be breaking down the next five weeks on this podcast to really talk about why this is and how it works and how we can change. Every time that I've worked through a seismic organizational change, culture has been one of the elements that I've always paid a huge amount of attention to. It's why culture is one of the five elements in connected change. And for me, it's because if you try to make a change that goes against the culture of the organization, it will fail. Change has to be designed and made within the context of the organization. That is why culture in the context of change is so important. Then, I mean, don't even get me started on when we're actually trying to change culture because changing culture is one of the most difficult things that a leader or a change manager can ever do. I devote a whole episode to that subject. So, you know, stay tuned because it is coming and it's a good one. So after all this talk, you know, how do we actually define the culture of an organization? And for me, there are a lot of definitions of culture out there, but I like this one the best. Siobhan McHale, in her recent book, The Insider's Guide to Culture Change, talks about a conversation she had with a colleague and described culture to this person thusly. Culture is how things work around here or how the place functions. It affects every aspect of your business from how you develop solutions to how you sell your products or services to how you make your customers happy. 
It's all about patterns of thinking and relating that tell people how to behave in an organization. And these patterns start to take hold the first day that people walk into the workplace. I absolutely love this definition because not only does it describe how culture looks and works, but it also helps us understand how we change in the face of culture in organizations that we join. And in fact, this is true. I mean, think about those times when you have been a person coming onto a new team in a new organization or somebody from the outside joins your organization or joins your team. They may come in and have some rough edges, but over a fairly short period of time, those rough edges kind of soften and you start to see them fitting in or aligning with belonging to the culture of your organization. And this is something that's intangible, but it's a very real experience and it happens all the time. The other thing I want to mention about culture that is really, really important is that culture is always aligned to the core purpose or business of the organization. The underlying culture of the organization, so the way people interact, the behaviors they have, how they work together, is defined by what the work of the organization is and the strategy and purpose of the organization. So that is why you see vastly different cultures in things like traditional manufacturing versus something like software development. If you tried to take a software development culture and put it into a traditional manufacturing business, it would fail because the culture is not aligned with the core purpose and business of the organization. I'm going to break this down in more detail in another episode, but keep this in mind. When you're looking for clues about the culture, you want to also have in your left hand, the business operating model. Understand that operating model, understand the value stream, understand the core operational processes of the organization that are driving value. And you will see that the culture aligns and where you have cultural conflict and issues are where you have culture or desires or behaviors that are coming up against the core purpose of the organization. Sometimes in these cases, what can be helpful is to develop an isolated subculture to accomplish specific goals that may go against the core purpose of your organization. Again, I get into this. I talk about a case study in an organization that I worked with where there was an innovation hub that helped to keep the organization moving forward and kept them competitive in terms of things like product development and innovation uh, to ensure that their products were always at the leading edge. But you can't do this in a production-oriented organization. And I'll talk about why you can't do that and why the cultures clash. Uh, Again, stay tuned for the next episode. I am so excited about this month. It is going to be fantastic. So as you are 
going into the organization and trying to figure out, you know, what the heck is happening here? As I mentioned, business operating model, understand the core business, understand the value stream, the core processes, and that will help to shed a light into what the core cultural characteristics and archetypes of the organization are. Metaphors are a very helpful way to understand the culture and the characteristics of the organization that you're working with. I had the privilege as part of my master's degree to work with Dr. Gareth Morgan. He penned an amazing book called Images of Organization. And his metaphors are really touchstones for understanding organizations that exist writ large. So not just business environments or corporations, but organizations of all stripes. So these could be community organizations, um, you know, uh, self-affiliated groups, um, religious organizations, etc. So, you know, the the metaphors really encompass a very broad categorization and it can be helpful because you may see one or two of the metaphors show up in the organization that you're in, either in the broader culture or as you may go in and examine some of the subcultures. So the eight core metaphors for the organization um, as penned by Dr. Gareth Morgan, organization as a machine. So thinking about some of the, um, you know, people coming together, providing specific roles and tasks for parts of a machine. This could be similar to um, a manufacturing or production environment. You see a lot of those characteristics there. An organism. So it's a collective um, and it's responsive to the environment and it adapts. So thinking about some of our um, community-based or grassroots organizations, they would operate similarly to an organism, maybe more of a collective leadership style, not so much um, top-down. A brain is the third one. So um, looking at the core purpose of the organization being to process information. So, you know, there are different ways um, that this can show up either in organizations or in sort of broader culture. The fourth is a cultural system. So it's a society. Um, And I think, you know, there are cultures and subcultures that are part of it. Um, I worked in an organization like this once where it really was, um, you know, high status to be in the organization. It had its own rules, regulations, rituals. Um, It was a very interesting experience, but it really had a society type of aspect to it. And it's very interesting because that characteristic of this organization has continued. I recently met somebody who just joined that organization some 15 years after I have been there. And it's the same. It, it sounds like it's exactly the same. So the society type, um, cultural system type of organization. 
The next, number five, a political system. And yes, if you've ever worked in government, this is going to sound very familiar to you. Um, but, you know, it's it's a game. The whole organization operates like a game, um, influencing, gaining power, um, you know, and meeting out power in different ways. Every single government organization that I've worked in operates like a political system. The sixth is the psychic prison. And as I like to call this one, the cult. So this is where you have a very restrictive way of thinking and operating. And there's a high emphasis on conformity. So some not so great religious organizations operate in this way. And I also like to think of this one as the cult, because that's kind of what it sounds like, right? Psychic prison, can't think for yourself. Yeah, I like this one a lot. Instrument of domination is number seven. So again, this one is not a very friendly one, um, but a way to um, impose will, exploit resources for personal gain. Again, there are a few not so great religious organizations out there that might um, fit this bill. I can also think of a couple other organization styles that do this as well. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> at the risk of um, you know, getting called out here by people. I don't know who's listening to this, my, my most excellent podcast, but multi-level marketing organizations definitely fall into this category just by the way that they operate as well as how they compensate um, the people who participate in that type of organization. The last one is flux and transformation. So... This organization is ever-changing and it derives its current state at all times from its environment. This one I'm less familiar with. I haven't really worked with a lot of organizations that I would say have this type of characteristic. So I'd be interested to hear if you have and if this resonates with you. Um, because I am fascinated by number eight, Flux and Transformation. I just don't know of any examples and haven't come across any in my work as of yet. So as you're looking at the organization, using a lens to filter the information and seeing where you can assign some of these metaphors and analyze what you're seeing in terms of drawing that picture, then you can get into a deeper dive, um, you know, into the materials to understand how these play out, what this looks like, what are some of the beliefs, behaviors, interactions that happen in these different types of organizations. The other model that I really like is from Fons Trompenar's Riding the Waves of Culture. And Dr. Trompenar's breaks it down into four different key organizational archetypes. The first is family. The second is an Eiffel Tower, oh, very much on the French theme. I love it. The third is the guided missile. And the fourth is an incubator. What I really like about the work from Dr. Trompenars is that he actually gets into the elements that I love 
to pick apart in connected change. So things like what power and influence look like in the organization, um, what, you know, you can start to see what some of the stories and the history that go along. So, you know, as you are looking into the organization and you're, you know, walking around and collecting information, you're asking for stories and you're asking for history. You're asking for stories about how does work get done here? What's rewarded? Who's highly viewed or highly valued in the organization and why? Who holds a lot of power? Who doesn't and why? These are the types of questions you're asking, or at least I'm asking when I'm going in with a connected change lens. I love how well Dr. Trompenar's work aligns with connected change because it really helps to define into those elements and helps you understand what is happening in the organization. Because then when you're seeking to change the organization, um, you know, and you're looking at culture, you want to have a very clear understanding of what the cultural norms, attitudes, beliefs, values are that are driving your behaviors and your interactions so that you can figure out how to build your change activities, your roadmap, your plan in a way that aligns with the dominant organizational culture. The only thing I don't like about uh, Trompenar's model is the first definition. So family, I have a big, well, I mean, just from the work that I've done, A lot of times when organizations describe themselves as families, they tend to be a little bit toxic. And to me, family relationships and family organizations are actually quite different than workplace organizations. Family organizations, and I mean, let's just be honest here. Some families are very functional. Others are not functional. So Family organizations tend to be organized based on relationships. And, you know, depending on the way that the family is, there may be hierarchy, there may not be. It really depends on the culture, um, you know, that the family is in and societal culture. I will get to societal culture in another episode. Um, But, you know, when you're in a family, you tend to have these relationships based on, uh, you know, a long period of time, you know, in many cases, your whole life being part of that family and these relationships that are based on familial ties. So blood, blood relationships, um, or familial relationships. I know not all families are based on, um, on blood, but, um, you know, this idea that, you know, you have a cohesive link between all of the members in that family, um, when you're in an organization, you're not joining a family, you're going there for a specific, you're still going there for a specific role. And in workplaces, the relationships that you build are very much based on either the tasks or the work. And so, you know, that's the reason you're there. And that's the focus. So I don't like to use the word family when I'm talking about culture. I will get deeper into this in a blog post that's coming up this month as to why this 
I think that this is an issue. And we'll also dive into this in a later episode when we actually break this out in terms of group dynamics. Um, And that underlies my belief and my theory as to why, you know, this designation of family is not quite right. So I'm going to chalk that one up to being a little bit lost in translation, and maybe there's a better English word that could work for this type of an organization. Um, But, you know, that's the only thing that I don't like about it. Um, So in terms of how these are defined, the family is described as a bunch of diffuse relationships that kind of come together around a central core. You have either a matriarch or a patriarch. Uh, driving all of the major decisions. There's a high degree of belonging and social cohesion that comes along with it. And then, as you can probably imagine, uh, some of the negative things that come with that type of organization and relationships, like, um, you know, having to feel loved and respected and, you know, maybe when you fall out of line, quote unquote, having things like belonging and inclusion taken away, um, you know, and there can be, uh, you know, some types of behaviors around ensuring that you are covering for or caring for people's reputations. So, you know, those kind of things are not great. The Eiffel Tower number two is... It is, you know, think about how you would build an Eiffel Tower. You have specific roles that are part of a mechanical whole. Again, you know, sounds a little bit like what we talked about with Dr. Morgan's eight organizational models. Um, But, you know, you have the strong hierarchy that comes along with that. um, And people are widgets that fall in and out of roles within the organization. So, you know, there's positives and negatives that come along with that culturally and Trumpeners gets into some of those cultural characteristics, which are really interesting. Guided missile, number three. I can't help but think about cultures like, oh my goodness, like, you know, um, our recent uh, moonshots, right? Uh, SpaceX, Blue Origin, uh, Virgin Galactic, like guided missile. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Like rockets, build rockets. Um, you know, it's it's really focused on shared objectives, um, project oriented, uh, you know, problem focused, problem solving. Um, you know, there's this idea of continuous improvement, this idea of moving towards the target. Um, but it can be a very intolerant culture for things like learning, for things like mistakes, for things like development. Um, and I'm sure you've heard some of the stories coming out of those organizations lately that, uh, can point to this. So, you know, great metaphor. I can already see the application. The fourth one, the incubator. And this one more, you know, sounds a lot like Morgan's organism, you have those organic relationships. 
a lot of experimentation and innovation and discovery that happens in this type of an organization. I worked in a research lab for a number of years, and that's really what this description sounds like to me. Um, You know, we were designing experiments, trying to figure out what worked. And if it didn't, we would tear everything down and start again and try something else until we got to a place where we were starting to see that, you know, we really had some interesting results to start to chase. And then as soon as we thought we maybe had some results, we again ripped it all down and refined it again to see if we could get an even closer picture. But it was this constant state of learning and adaptation. It was a really interesting place to spend a few years. And so, you know, high degree of collaboration, um, you know, but also a low degree of authority. So really diffuse authority, no central decision making. It can become difficult if you're starting to get off on the wrong track, right? So there are two models that you can consider. Um, So again, I will link these resources, the three resources that I mentioned today in the show notes for you to investigate more deeply. But I hope that this has given you a bit of a sense of, you know, what culture is and it isn't, how to figure out and define the culture of the organization, and what are some touchstone ways that we can break it down and analyze it and communicate it in ways that people can understand the culture and understand themselves. Um, So I love the metaphor approach, highly recommend getting into and reading um, those resources. I refer to them all the time when I talk about culture. So forgive me, this was a little bit longer today than I had anticipated, but I thought that this was a foundation episode for the weeks to come. So I'm hoping that you stuck with me through the whole thing um, and that you found this helpful. August is culture month here at the Change Course podcast and at charthouse.ca. So uh, follow us, um, you know, on all of our different channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, here on Anchor, as well as Twitter. Uh, to keep abreast of all of the different resources, um, thought pieces, and articles and content that we're putting out this month to help talk about culture and organizational cultural change in a new, um, tangible and constructive way. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, I invite you to like, rate, share, and subscribe because it helps others find us. Our music is Levity by Emily Clausen. Change Course can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And we have an accessible version with fully edited captions on YouTube. You can find the link to this version on www.charthouse.ca in the Change Course podcast show notes. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter. We're launching shortly, and you'll get a monthly dispatch of all things change. 
and hear about the upcoming launch of ConnectedChange.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's never too late to change course.